following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. All right, glad to be here this morning. Um, it's exciting to, to think about the opportunity of talking about uh, heroes of the faith. And uh, the interesting starting point for me was thinking of warrior's heart and heroes when our ultimate hero is the Prince of Peace. And so that little bit of um, not looking to have uh, a Christian version of a jihadist in terms of saying, I believe my faith so much that I become warrior in the way that the world would think of it. I came to faith as an adult just coming out of the Marine Corps, and there was a big shift of thinking for me to think about what is strength, what are my values, uh, how am I supposed to lay this out. And so part of what I want to share with you guys today is some development that's happened in my life uh, as I've followed through, and I want to end up with two things there. At the beginning, um, dig down to build up. The bigger the building you want to build, the, you got to start by getting a good foundation. And so part of what we want to be doing here is uh, looking at what is this kingdom impact that we're talking about that these heroes represent. And so the idea here is first that kingdom's impact is ultimately shalom. And shalom, and when we talk about the prince of peace, it doesn't mean the prince of appeasement. The prince of peace is not the prince of appeasement. The Prince of Peace is the one who brings things about the way they ought to be in the first place. And there's an interesting vision of the end game that we get here in uh, Micah 4.4, that everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And this is a vision of the kingdom being established. It's physical. you got your own space, and nobody messes with you. And you just live your life, and that there's this healthiness that we have a sense of belonging and a sense of being alive, and, and there's a concreteness to it. Uh, this is one of the challenges that we have when we focus disproportionately on the intermediate phase of going to be the Lord with the Lord in heaven. That's part of the plan, but that's just until the final occupation of earth. And that's why we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, that will be done on this earth. That's his end game, is that we'll actually be established here. And so as we think about that kingdom and that shalom, um, the question is, how is that brought about? And from the same book, then, uh, Kingdom Methods, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, a mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And put yourself in there and say, all right, God, I go to church, I buy breakfast tacos, I listen to people talk to me early morning Thursday. What else do you want from me? He says, I'll tell you, I want you to act justly, which is first taking responsibility of your own ethics, your own sense of, of purpose, of mission and diligence. And in doing that, that you also love mercy, not just for yourself, but there's a merciful attitude in the way that you work with others, that you are looking towards reconciliation. And as you're dealing with justice and mercy, that you're doing this in humility. And why is it? Because we do it in God and for God as we go forward. So justice and mercy and humility. This is really, really brilliant, actually. When we think about God's original creation, we have the story of everything's good, but we want to make it uh, fruitful and prosper and more. That's the story we get in Genesis 1 and 2. Good start. Now y'all expand it and make it better. But then what happens in Genesis 3? It all goes off the plan. 
and everything's messed up. And in this rebellion against the kingdom, if we exclusively focus on justice, what we'll end up with is destroying the rebellion. All the rebels are gone. We just push a button, blast, it's all gone. But the original purposes are gone too. The ruin that the rebellion started actually succeeds in destroying the purposes of God to having things flourish and go the way they should. Likewise, if we overemphasize mercy without ever dealing with justice, then essentially we exonerate the rebels. And again, the result remains that ruin continues. And that when we bring together justice and mercy, then we have the ability to both punish the rebellion but then restore that which the rebellion has destroyed. And that's the Christian ideal that other movements fail to do. And even when you see in social media and other things like that, you'll hear arguments going on, and you'll have the justice guy and the mercy guy. And the thing is, in Christ, we don't move to the left or right in terms of justice or mercy. We rise up in terms of the integration of justice and mercy. And that's what Christ did, that he could stand up to religious bullies, He could be merciful to sinners, but he didn't enable sinners in his justice. He said, go and sin no more. And he brings those together. And as we talk about that for ourselves, that's this idea of we've received grace of his justice and mercy for us. And so we extend that justice and mercy for others. And that's what it is that we're supposed to be doing. There's also a sense that there's a changed identity gives a changed mission. Uh, again, a Marine Corps story. We had a guy uh, from Chicago that was there because um, uh, a squabble had broken out and he had come out of a movie theater and a guy got thrown down on the ground. They put his legs up on the curb and somebody jumped off, broke his legs. And it was like this gang thing. It was all tough. He goes to the judge and the judge, you can go to jail or you can go in the service. And so he's like, okay, okay, I'll go in the service. So he goes to the Marine Corps, and then he meets his drill instructors, and he wonders if he made a bad decision. <laughs> and, yeah, he came unglued. He, he literally wet himself at one point. And I remember thinking that we're in a different world now, and they emphasized it, and they emphasized several things. Your old allegiances are no longer how you identify yourself, and your old ways are no longer our ways. You used to say, I'm this group or this color or that. Here, we're all green. And you're light green or you're dark green or somewhere in between, but we're all green. And there was an ethos there that's the same thing that the kingdom talks about, that we used to have our tribal allegiances and our protectiveness, but now we belong to one another. And here's what this looks like then once we've come into this kingdom in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, this again is the rebellion fails, but of your salvation which includes rescue and restoration and renewal, the flourishing that we talked about. And that is from God, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. And this is something that is amazing. I almost never hear anyone quote this verse. Uh, for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. 
It's actually a grace gift. It's a charismatic gift nobody wants. Charis is is gift. So when we say charismatic, it's from charisma, this grace gift. And he said, I give you two gifts. Number one, I give you a grace gift to, in justice and mercy, forgive you. And here's the other gift. I'm bringing you on board, and you're going to join me in extending justice and mercy to others, and you're going to suffer the way that I did. Take up your cross and follow me. You've got a mission. So you're not just forgiven and just hanging out until you go to heaven. You're part of the advance of the kingdom. And so now we look at saying, all right, if that's the foundation that we want, that I'm part of this kingdom, give me some examples of what that looks like. Well, obviously, we've got to start with the greatest example, and that's exactly what you get in um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Uh, Though being the very form of God, not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And here's how this stitches together. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he tells the story. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest. This is a counter strategy to the world strategy. The world strategy is, though you're not all that, Nobody else in your office knows that. And so you need to dress with power, you need to project with power, and you need to overachieve and overstretch. And don't worry, you'll find ways to delegate and make other people help you look good. So you put yourself up there, and you brand yourself, and you become the man. And he says, Jesus, though, in the greatest thing, said, let's inverse that and watch what happens. And so he becomes the ultimate example that's there. And through his submission, through his servanthood, through his humility, through his obedience, all the way to death, and not just any death, but the death of a cross, he ends up being exalted as truly heroic. What do we do with that? What we need to do with that is we need to be able to take responsibility and take ownership of that. I want to show you an example in our own day um, of what it looks like when somebody responds to the Lord and looks at the world and says, I see an issue of justice and mercy lacking here. You've been doing justice and mercy in me. What can I do there? And uh, this is from where I lived and worked for years. The greatest things of life are not easy. What do you feel? What does that look like? How can we steward this gift of life? Here comes the pressure. What should I do? God, what should I do? It's not always a constant struggle, especially as my kids grow up. There's a lot going on in the world that is really worth doing. As a mom, as a teacher, what's the most important thing? Now about the family part. It's very hard for a male moose or a bull to have a family. Pretty cute. I used to call my vocation care management. Wives whose husbands are in the military or lots of people have dangerous careers. What is my role? I want to be where I'm most needed. And I feel that's where people are in, when they're being attacked, when they're in trouble. Over 50 years of civil war have left Burma one of the poorest countries in the world. The military dictatorship attacks its own people, killing thousands and leaving millions displaced. When I first saw fighting on the border, I thought, man, that's just wrong. Little girls rape, villages burn. I want to do something. 
And I said, Lord, should I do something? Can I do something? And it was, I just felt dope. Roaring troops began to attack on Mungau village on 30 January, firing at villagers and merchants and capturing 18 villagers. Remind people of the good news that you are worth something. And what's happened to you is wrong. We're going to stand with you. We're going to help you. Even if you die trying, we're not going to leave you. Taking your kids in a place that would be risky, a war zone, this violent invading force where the thief is going to continue to kill and destroy, where is the thing that lasts here? What are we doing? Are we doing good? Are we making it worse? God, what do you want us to do? I'm so mad at this, God. Why haven't you fixed it? You know, I don't really want to lose my dad. Doesn't 13. It's not very fun. I have to have faith that he will come back. Whenever I wonder what I'm doing out here, is it worth the risk? Or am I making any difference at all? Have I the wrong motives? When I think of people who've suffered great injustice and pain, then I think, oh, this is our place. Just be with them. This is our place. This is a guy raised in Thailand. He goes off, does his military service, comes back to visit family, encounters this, asks the question, I observe, how do I connect what's in here with what's out there? And there's several quotes in there of the processing that all of us are doing all the time, which is saying, what's my role? What's my part? And essentially what we hear is God say, go, and you get into it. And the details are often missing. This is an example that we sometimes think of in terms of very dramatic and what it really looks like to say, oh, man, that's a, a true hero. And he is. Um, he's actually coming here uh, tomorrow night as as part of a visit for some places as we're continuing work um, on raising money for this film that's going to be a feature-length film shown in theaters and talking about the gospel in difficult areas and this work of representing the most vulnerable. And the training that's gone on in Burma, where we've served for a long time, is now being carried to Kurdistan, northern Iraq, and other places like that where you have people that are under oppression and saying, how do we use strength for ways that bring the gospel reconciliation, including towards their oppressors? And there's some incredible stories there. In Philippians 2, right after the example of Jesus, he says, you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his own purpose. And when she talked about fear management, that's, that's what all of us have. If God's really going to be doing this through me, can I cope with the implications of that? He says the antithesis of that is the Exodus generation. And the non-heroic, you can tell them by their grumbling. And that's what he then describes there in Philippians 2, right after the example of Jesus and the call towards responsibility. If our main sense of spirituality and religious diligence is to find things to complain about and people to be against, whether that's political, religious, social, familial, that we have this sense of justice that makes us feel useful when we criticize, he says that actually is the Exodus generation and is a failure. And that the reason to stand up for justice is to be redemptive and to bring life, not to just nuke or crush the opponent. And how we do that requires greater sophistication and greater sobriety about who God is. He then moves in his description, Paul does, to two others. He talks about Timothy. And then Timothy's kind of what we would see here, this dramatic cross-cultural worker who's directly making disciples, and it's the kind of thing that gets paraded in front of a church as, as the model hero of, like, that's what we want to do. And a lot of us come to a breakfast like this, and it's like, 
God's gifted me. He's put me in a place, and I just don't see myself running off to Burma or Kurdistan or one of those other places that I couldn't really find on a map unless, you know, I had a chance to Google it on my phone before. And so I want to give you one example to leave with uh, that's a little more manageable. And that one is from someone actually up in Fort Worth. And, again, I'm going to skip for the technology just to show it straight here. And this is um, filmed just about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Uh, But it's become increasingly relevant based on what's going on and the attention that's happening with Syria. Um, But this is here in Texas. focused on success at work and had left me very little quality time for serving God. The result was that, guess what? I made more money, but I didn't do ministry the way I knew I should be doing it, thinking that, oh, well, I'm young, I have more time. So 30s turns to 40s, 40s turns to 50s, and now I'm in my late 50s. Finally, I'm trying to flip it in the right direction, spending quality time doing God's work. The process of identifying which ministry my wife and I should select was very important to us. We put a lot of thought into it. So when we discovered that over 600 refugees come to our city every year, we felt compelled to participate So, we have a family for you. They are from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And it's a family of seven, and they're all girls. Wow. So the DRC, it's been civil wars within the country, and that's why they've had to flee. The family arrives this Thursday night. Everything's going to be new to them, and they're really going to need a little bit of stability, and y'all offer that. We've got an apartment. And we need to set it up. Would y'all be interested in being involved in that process? Yeah. Okay. The way I'm wired, it's important to me to not be involved in huge events that are really grandish. I'm not made for the spotlight. I'm prone to pride. And that's what I have to fight. So put me in a spot that doesn't foster that. And that's where the Lord is putting us. When I read scripture, I see that it is incumbent upon all Christians to love God and to love others. Jumbo. Jumbo. Someone who shows up and didn't think he would ever get there. And he came here by the skin of his teeth. And he knows not what the future holds. That, to me, is a ripe situation. I love others, and I want to be part of it. You want to see it? You want to go see? One bedroom here, and their bedroom is here. So mom and dad, you sleep here, and then someone else sleep here. The little one? The little one, yes. Love is not all that complicated. It's actually quite simple. 
it sort of looks like making yourself very helpful to the people in your life. Some people need a soft word. Some people need a couch. Some people need a friend. Tell them that I'm sure they've had a long trip, but they're home, and they're glad that they're home. They invite people to know that they have people who really care about them and people want to help them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they think that they're going to keep seeing you in their lives. They want to see you again. When you're my age, you realize the weight of idolatry and realizing that other things have been more important and have taken the place of God. But at the same time, what I'm encouraged about is the direction of my life. I will befriend this family. I will become aware of needs. I will pray for this family. Where that will lead, I'm not sure. Everybody's aiming at something. It's incumbent upon us to know what is that and what should it be. My aim in life is what God wants, what brings Him pleasure, what is His desire. The conclusion of uh, chapter 2 in Philippians is rich. He goes on to talk about that um, Timothy is like a son to him that Timothy uh, has been faithful in all of his work, and then he mentions Epaphroditus. And in mentioning Epaphroditus, um, he tells us about a man who isn't particularly spectacular. Uh, The Philippian community was a Roman uh, military town that was out on the fringe. Uh, Paul had been really instrumental in bringing people together that wouldn't normally be together. And in bringing them together, they gave them a a gospel vision that was different from the tribalism that they had had before of Roman versus Jew versus those from over in uh, Asia Minor. And out of that, when they heard that Paul was in prison, Epaphroditus said, I can't do a lot of things, but here's something I can do. You give me the letter and the materials that we need to get to get to Paul, and I'll take a journey, and I'll go to him, and I'll help him. And so he did. And then Paul writes back and says, I'm going to send Timothy back to you, I mean, Titus, Epaphroditus back to you. And he was sick and he almost died and it, it would have broken my heart and I want him to go back to you. But I want you to be careful to do this one thing. Honor this man. This man's a hero. He took a risk. He did what he needed to do. And the essential point of this whole lesson today is you look at these various heroes that go forward and the temptation to exalt them. Or the temptation to use the dramatic and say that's the essence of the message. The dramatic and the various heroes that you're going to see throughout the semester are really more about blowing things up so that you can zoom in on the part that matters. The part that matters is obedience. If Jesus is my king, 
He's my Lord, and I've come into his kingdom, that me doing what he tells me to do is more important than me trying to do what he tells someone else to do. In football, I don't want the lineman coming back and trying to get the ball and run upfield. He's got a job to do, and he needs to be that lineman and doing that lineman's job. And the running back needs to do his job and so on. And so whether it's Johnny, who's been very financially successful, he's been faithful as church, and he says, I'm going to extend, I'm going to find a way to extend the kingdom as I have overlap with the world. Or it's Dave going off into the jungles and, and facing all sorts of trauma. Or whatever the different opportunities that God has given you, the essential question is, do you have a king and are you part of his kingdom? Does he grant you the ability to believe, to trust, and belong, but also grant you the privilege to suffer alongside? It'll cost you money. It'll cost you time. It may cost you more than that, but it's, a, it's something that you treasure that you would be called into that to be involved in that. I think that's what you guys want. I think that's what you guys do. I think that's why you'd come here on a Thursday morning, and whether it's men serve whether it's mission trips, whether it's engagement that hasn't even started yet, but you have it in your mind that you can start, that's what I'd want us to be about. So I'm going to pray, make time available for us to talk and develop anything else that's out, but in terms of a presentation, just remember that aspect, that it's not about dramatic obedience, it's about faithful obedience. Father, I thank you for the men that are here. Uh, As I see these two stories, and I know the stories... I look and I know only a few of the stories of the men that are in here. And I think about all the stories that could be brought forward from things that these men have already done in their lives. And that's good, and I'm grateful for it. But more than anything, Lord, what I think about right now is the stories that have not come into being yet. That through gathering here, studying together, inspiring one another, that we would not look backwards but look forward. To what can I do next? How can I be faithful next? How can I continue to be obedient and grateful for your kingdom, for your justice and mercy to me becomes justice and mercy from me? Lord, we thank you for all this. And our goal is to walk humbly with you that in any exaltation of what happens, that it be directed towards you and that we might share in that celebration together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.